Well, you would always cast me as the abusive boyfriend. <laughs> I'm Mickey. They're queer. She's not. Welcome to What the Q. On this podcast, we're exploring queer culture together. Why? Because of you, Mickey. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, well. Welcome to the first episode of What the Q. Welcome, Mickey. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. So we specifically picked this to be our first episode, even though we've gotten um, a lot of recording out of the way in the last couple of months. And this will actually be our first official episode that gets broadcast. We're going to talk a a little bit about us and then get right back to me. (laughs) Right. So in this episode, we're going to talk about our relationship and how we got to this podcast. But you're also our first guest. Me, I'm our yes, first guest. You are, you, Michael, are our first guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Michael. Michael. Well, I mean, I guess we could start by talking about who we are. Life didn't start for Liz and Mickey until Liz and Mickey met in '94. Yep, 1994. 1994. 1994. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, we were both transfer students at the same college, and we met. Our first semester of our first year at that college, 25 years ago. 25 years ago. Whoa. Whoa. There's a number for you. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because we're like only 25. So that's <laughs> How does weird. that happen? I don't, that's weird. Well, I'm, I, that is just further evidence that life began in 1994. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were friends all through college. Um, but a lot of life happened from the day we met till to this day where we weren't together. When we left the dormitories, things were up and down. You went to Washington. You came back. You lived in different apartments than I did. Um, we certainly hung out, but we really didn't re we didn't really connect as Liz and Mickey proper until we moved in together. In 1998. 98, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, we call that the State Street years. Yes. <laughs> Two, to be specific, two years of our life. But when you're 25, two years is like forever. Right. We might have actually been 25 then. I think we might have been. In, well, in 98, I was 26. So, so I was 24. Close enough. Okay. Yeah. You were much younger. Well, we can edit that out so people don't do the math on you. <laughs> <laughs> They'll just be like a beep. Beep. <laughs> people have done the math by now. Like 1998, she was 24. Add, you know. <laughs> Drop the zero. Right, carry the one. <laughs> carry the one. <laughs> okay, so we met in college. We reconnected. I graduated. You were in your final year or semester, but we connected and lived together for two years. During those two years, you introduced me to my husband. Yes. Towards the end of those two years. August of 1998. Oh, during those years. Yeah. And it was my last two years of college because I wasn't, I don't think I was going full time. Oh, you were a student the entire two years. Okay. Yeah. When we actually, I think when we moved out, I had graduated at the same time. That, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yep. Actually, all of it makes sense because you moved out right to move in with Tom. Yep. Um, and... 
you wouldn't have done that if you hadn't known him for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it had been over a year. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were ready to take that step for sure. So I guess for a big portion of that time together, though, we talked about both of us moving here to Portland where I we live did. now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what happened is probably towards the end of it, we realized that we weren't going to be taking that next step together. Right. But that didn't mean we weren't connected. It just means that we had another long span of not being in close proximity. We did. And it was pre-social media, pre-cell phone, pre you know, and he, we yeah. it was you. We would have Actually, to call I just gotten my first cell phone when you went out there. I bought it in Albany and I took it with me. I still have that same phone number. Oh wow! Isn't that crazy? We you would we would have to make a phone call to talk to each other in order to stay yeah, in touch. People, we didn't even really text back then. No, like, texting wasn't even a thing. No, nope. you were stepping into your new life. You eventually got married. I was mm-hmm. part of that, which was wonderful. Yep, you were my witness. Thank you. Then, but yeah, as that as we stepped into our next phase of your life, you, um, I I wouldn't call it domesticity because it's not like you nested too much, but um, I'm you you y- built your life with Tom. Me and the word domestic don't yeah, go together. No. Yeah. Okay. But we built a life together somehow. <laughs> and I moved on to explore my artistic, musical, drag queen side, traveling, um, really settling into my life here in Portland. Well, it's an um, interesting point I'm, because when you went to Portland, you had not done drag. And as a matter of fact, when we fast forward reconnected if you will um you had already finished doing drag so the entire time you were doing drag i never saw you perform or was really even a part of that world with you that's interesting i got caught up in performance because my roommate at one point um created a show at a local nightclub that we did during the day um we did a we we, we screened cartoons to a theme and we had um, little sketches and then afterwards was a dance party and I was getting really involved in that and I forgot, like my whole years of college, there was no, um, nobody knew that I came from a musical background, uh, performing, like I didn't do any of that in college because I came to college to get a career <laughs> and by the end of my college years I realized I ain't doing any of this shit I studied. And I kind of revisited my creative side. Really, though, at the end of the day, even throughout doing drag, and I was just talking to my friend KT, who we've had a discussion with for this podcast future episode. She was asking me if I wanted to bring my drag character, CJ, back. Oh, interesting. And I was like, yeah, for a fundraiser. And I'm like, I don't think so. I really just want to do music. That's what I've always wanted to do. That's the reason why I started drag was because I was invited to do a show. When you mean say music, you mean music production, production, creating music and for me to create a a band with somebody where I do music production and uh writing songs with some fierce queer vocalist would be a dream. Really that's what I wanted to do and and that's what I wanted to do from day 1. When I was asked to do this original show, I was asked to do it in drag. And my first answer to that question was, no, I, I don't do drag. I don't want to do drag. 
But then I saw it as an opportunity and I turned around to the producer of the show and said, can I write my own song? And they were like, you can do whatever you want. So I created my drag character so that I could perform music that I created. With that, I started my first band with my friend Daniel, who we created a band called Cotton Candy. And then drag just became my way, my only way to really do the music that I wanted to do. I love drag. We love drag queens. There's no question about the fact that I have such a, uh, admiration for the art, um, for so much about it. But I realized over that decade that the drag part really wasn't for me. I really wanted to do music. So yeah, by the time we reconnected in 2013, I think mm -hmm. that year was probably the last time I actually did do drag. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, we were uh -huh. you. We had seen each other in January that year, and at some point, I went to San Francisco and did some shows with some friends of mine, and then I did some local stuff, um, and then I kind of hung my wig up, and I was like, "But during those years, just to just for our listeners, um, you mentioned going to San Francisco, but you actually traveled the world and the country." Yeah, I I went to Europe a few times to do queer festivals and tour through like Berlin and Norway of all places, which was beautiful and Denmark, um, and Italy. Um, and I did probably like three state tours and it wasn't money making venture. It was really a connecting with other queer artists venture and such a great experience. Um, that's what I was doing while you were, buying houses and being married <laughs> yeah yeah i bought a house and got married <laughs> that's and, what i did I mean, have a career and do wonderful things in your community and take care of yourself we were living our lives we were yes. doing it separately but in 2013 i came to new york and i made a special trip up to poughkeepsie Mm -hmm. little halfway point between New York City and Albany, New York, if you're not familiar with the geography. And um, it was like nothing had changed. I think we were both scared that something had changed, but nothing had changed. Uh, so funny you say that because as soon as you said we were afraid maybe something had, I'm like, that is what I was feeling. But it didn't. I've had this with other people, too, that I've stepped away. That, you know, I moved away from Albany and then they see me on MySpace, if you can remember that, and Facebook and um, just on social media, my website, being a drag queen, thinking that I had become somebody else, but no, I'm exactly the same person. You know, of course yeah. I've changed. Of course I've learned and I, and I feel like I've grown for the better in so many ways. Doing the drag was extremely therapeutic for me, but when you're sitting down across from Mickey, I, there's very little that could have changed. That's true. I think we were worried that the relationship had might, might have changed or maybe yeah. the dynamics would be different now. So the year you got married was 04, 05? 05, yeah. 05. So we're talking thir uh, eight years later, 2013. Right. That's really, I feel like the wedding is kind of the last time that we really were the remnants of old Liz and Mickey. Right. And, and then, then eight years went by. Yeah, with not much. The and, occasional text message, the right, occasional that, email. Right. And then, um, who knew? Liz and Mickey were still a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so retro. Yeah. 
we visited each other a few times. We really got back in the swing of things. And you've brought Tom out to visit at least once. Yeah, at least once. And probably he'll come with me the next time we go out there. He, he really enjoys it. And I enjoy being with both of you. So There's a lot of stuff out here for him. Yeah. Probably more than for us. Maybe. Yeah. Because we'll just sit at your house for a week. Yeah. And it's like, do you want to go into nature? I guess. (laughs) Can I wear these shoes? Oh my gosh. We climbed a waterfall dressed for brunch. Like we were not Yeah, I had friends. I had flip flops on. It yeah. got so muddy I and I couldn't even skirt. stand up. Not a, not a hiking skirt, like a real skirt. And we're like, let's just let's just go up a little well anyway, end of the day we were at the top of that waterfall. Basically since two thousand thirteen we have been reconnected. We didn't move back into yeah. the same city. I mean I guess that is thanks to technology. That is thanks to yeah. in some part to social media. Until we started workshopping this podcast, we never even really called each other. You know, now we video chat all the no, time. We didn't. Podcast or not. We text uh, every week. Which is fine yep. which is fine by text. me. That's my favorite way to chit chat is texting. Let's just make it a rule. <laughs> in society yeah don't <laughs> please don't call me <laughs> please don't call me like i see the phone ring i'm like oh my god this is this has to be fucking important um you like instead of answering you text them are you looking for me <laughs> <laughs> it's true i'd be like why are you calling me is everything okay <laughs> uh. Um, anyway. Well, if it was coming from you, I would know right away this is serious. <laughs> or you butt dialed me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if I called you out of the blue, that'd be very curious what I would have to say. Not to stretch this part of the conversation out, but I would feel like you would text me first and go, Mick, I'm about to call you. That's true, too. And I think that this is all pretty universal to many friendships these days and society in general it is yeah yeah. texting's very efficient i can go back and double check and be like i'm not going to tell her that and erase it (laughs) so going strong since two uh, since 1994 going stronger since uh 2013 what's brought us here to the fact that we're doing a podcast together that's not what most friends do you know that would be kind of boring if every friend just fucking picked up a mic and just started rattling into a microphone. Yeah. It was in 2017, a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. About during two years a ago. visit. Yeah. One of the biggest things what brought me to drag, what I learned from doing drag and performing and touring was my queerness. I learned that my identity was queer, that um, I had been spending my life identifying as a gay man And then through wonderful people, through academic conversations about gender, about feminism, about sexuality, about the spectrum, I found my queerness. And I said this to Liz a million times before, what is such a testament to our friendship is that even though my queerness is important to my identity, it didn't have anything to do with our friendship enough that I ever felt that I needed to come out. And I never even came out to you as gay anything ever. Right. I mean, like, we just used context to figure out how the other person worked. (laughs) But what's interesting about that, our friendship then, it was unspoken, but known, had did not factor into our friendship whatsoever. But yet there was a time in both of our lives where we fell in love with the other. Right couldn't move forward with that 
and it wasn't at the same time. Thank, I mean, luckily, I would say luckily it, it wasn't was at so the same different. time. That would make it more complicated, I think. But right. um, but anyway, it, we just have loved each other for so long. Um, Which kind of puts us into, I mean, obviously friends, but, um, you know, we were domestic partners for a while. Yeah. Um, and I would have put you on my insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Or my, or my you may still have that opportunity. <laughs> we do. You, we are in each other's retirement plans. So, um, but yeah. So in 2017, I had realized that, you know, in this decade of my life where decade or longer since I moved out to Portland, where right. I, I realized my queerness, where I had defined myself as queer, identify as queer, um, I started having an open conversation with Liz about my queer identity and I never saw someone glaze over so fast. <laughs> she had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, have we not talked about this? And that started this fascination with, I, I didn't know this. Right. Um, I didn't, I never, I, I guess, I don't even know if you ever heard of that identity. If you just thought of queer as a derogatory thing that you call people. That conversation where we talked about you identifying as queer, and we had to have that conversation because I didn't know you did or that it was a thing um, mm -hmm. was just so eye opening and enlightening. And I was just I felt so I was like, oh, my goodness, like I love hearing this and knowing this exists and just the opportunity for someone to share so openly and freely about this conversation with me. It was, it was just such I just felt lucky to to be to, ha to have that shared with me. I guess it felt good too that I had I still had somebody to come out to about it. I don't even know living in Portland if I ever had to come out. Yeah. Like I came back from tour one day and I was like, Maggie, I identify as queer. In fact, I think everyone I know should identify as queer because none of us follow heteronormative rules to the T. And that's really what it is about. It's like there is a normative way of things that we see that are taught to us. And um, not everybody has to identify as queer, but lots of people are embraced in the queer ideology. You know, I mean, I could and I could nitpick. I could say you decision to not have children. That's kind of queer in the queer, the queerest sense. You know, it's like I don't feel that my body was built to just fart out children. It's not part of my life. plan. <laughs> and it's not the normative in this society. Um, however, that is not how I identify. No. Right. Just like there are gay men or women who don't identify as queer, um, the queer community is there to stand up mm -hmm. for them because they are naturally a part of that. Well, to be fair, I don't I don't even to be fair, I don't think that I fit into that culture. You do enough normative things that you kind of are an outlier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it, you're I fall prey to all the trappings. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> but really, at the end of the day, it's up to you. I had a, I had a conversation with a pretty straight friend the other day um, about how, as they're getting older, they realize, wow, they do really identify with a lot of the politics and ideology that fall into the queer spectrum. And they unto themselves were thinking, Maybe this is my identity because of how I am, how I live. Um, but 
kind of similar to what you're saying, but because I meet all these other criteria, I don't feel comfortable doing I that, make, or I don't I, feel that. When I don't make that leap. Yeah, personally. No. Yeah. And I and it's the point is it's an individual decision. Yes. To mm-hmm. identify as queer. But these and are the things is, that we were learning about each other. Right. Two years ago. Yeah. These. This um, thing. And it's and it's different for everybody. Now, parallel to that conversation, mm-hmm. we got a bug up our ass to make a podcast at one point. <laughs> I I, I kind of feel like it was your idea. Oh no, it was. I know it was because I'm just obsessed with podcasts. I'm, I, I would listen to podcasts and I would think to myself, I w- oh, Mickey should hear this or this is something Mickey would be interested in. And in my head that turned into Mickey and I should just do one. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's probably when the actual workshopping for a podcast started. What, what are we going to do? We would pass ideas back and forth about things that we could do um, as a podcast I don't know when we came up with it being on exploring queer culture together, but that's what we settled on. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know how we got there, but that is that is where we landed. Slowly but surely, we started workshopping. I feel like we, we really put the time in, and I, I think we have something here. We're committed to 10 episodes of conversations with people that identify as queer and what that means to them right so in the process of figuring out what this would look like we went through different variations and what we decided on was we would interview a guest the only identifying factor to be a guest was that person identifies as queer and it didn't even matter where that fell like if it just was how they identified that's it. The only qualifying factor. We don't, and you'll see in the episodes to come, we don't ask them anything other than what does it mean to you to identify as queer? Now, during the conversation, maybe we'll ask questions. There'll be a back and forth, but we have no other agenda. None. I mean, we ask them to send us a bio if they want. Um, some of them don't or forget, but um, all we need to know is that they know why they're coming on the podcast and that is because they identify as queer Mm -hmm. now you may think in this first season that the other qualifying factor is that they're a friend of mickey's (laughs) but that's just a coincidence (laughs) i'm hoping as we move forward people will show an interest and then we would get a wider span of queer folks that want to come on and talk about and also the podcast was not created to interview your friends it just no. so happens that you have yeah. a lot of friends who fit the criteria for the podcast. Yeah, I mean, yeah. why not ask my friends yeah, on? Yeah, of and, course. You know, and, and actually, we do have one guest that approached us. Oh, yeah. Who I would say is an acquaintance and a colleague-ish in some ways. Um, but we did reach out to the community and we did get a guest that isn't exactly... I've never gone out to dinner with them. Right. Excellent guest. If you're listening to this and uh, maybe listen to the next couple episodes and maybe you're the next guest, we'd love to have you. you yeah, know? absolutely. You can reach out to us and we'll let you know what we think. So, Mickey, as our first guest, would you like to talk about what it means to you to identify as queer? Sure. Believe it or not, I, I don't have anything prepared, so I'm just going to babble about it. 
thinking back to when I realized that I was queer, I, I, I think I was touring in um, Norway and I was at a queer festival. And I just assumed queer, maybe I, maybe I knew a little bit more, but I just assumed it was a gay thing. And I was meeting straight people who had polyamorous relationships to um, other people that were, didn't have any relationships or were considered asexual. Just such a wide variety of individuals that all identified as queer. And it started to dawn on me, this is about so much more. What it is about is about being who you are outside of that heteronormative expectation. And I have never fit into that. I wasn't a dater. I wasn't looking for some kind of dyad to establish my life. Wasn't opposed to it. I'm still not opposed to it. That was never important to me. And, and it, it, aside from the fact of who I was sleeping with, which was an issue through my life, my behavior about how I went by my life made me a little bit more of a weirdo than anything else. The fact that I wasn't in a relationship. Also, at that same time, I was really starting to understand what gender meant and right. what it meant to me through my from my childhood up until that point that I really didn't fit into the gender that I was assigned at birth. And then I realized I, there are just too many differences from me and what normative is even if i was just a gay man who wanted to get married and adopt a child i wasn't even in that ballpark <laughs> right i was completely outside of all of that my queerness happened when i found a community that i actually identified with they were all people that most of them were nothing like me right. but they understood what it was to be me that was a huge moment I was so empowered. Uh, I finished out my European tour feeling such a connection to, you know, I'm also out of the United States meeting people from all over the world that identify as queer. I remember showing up in Berlin and all these people I met in Norway came to my show one night and there was just such empowerment, such a, uh, a world family. I felt like I was visible for the first time, even though... I wasn't visible everywhere. My queer identity gave me a whole new lease on life. It's very simple to say that to me, the queer identity is not following the rules of a heteronormative, may I say, patriarchal. <laughs> like I could go into all these other words. But the first realization to me was that I was outside of all the heteronormative values that I learned, even as somebody who at one point identified as a gay man. What's wonderful about this podcast, the podcast forces me to continue to explore queerness because it's not just one set answer. I don't think any of our identities are static through the rest of our lives. Just normatively, you go from someone's daughter to a student to a mother to, you know, someone's boss. Those things change and the same things happen within queerness. So I'm thankful for this podcast and the fact that we have decided to move forward and explore this. It's also been a, an experience for me through workshopping that I have been able to come out further. Um, I knew that gender was an issue for me all along, and I kind of just backburnered it because it made the world, made me easier to deal with 
<laughs> for other people. But I realized that I, I don't identify as male. I actually identify as non-binary. With that, my pronouns are they, them. That was another powerful moment for me. Another level of my queerness unfolded. And I didn't do it so much as I wasn't doing it to accommodate other people, but I decided that that's what I needed to do for other folks out there that are non-binary, maybe don't see it in themselves, do see it in themselves, but don't see any representation of it in mm -hmm. older people, in people that are visible. It's not easy because despite the fact that strangers are going to sir me and he me and all these other things, and I just have to really be okay with it because you have to choose your arguments and I'm not going to battle strangers. I'm not going to make an issue out of it 99% of the time with strangers, but it's also hard on the people that care about me to remember those things. Um, and it, and it, it, it's me forcing a learning experience on people. So it becomes a conversation a lot with people that know me, have known me. But I still feel that it's important that I do it. Do I get to check off a different thing when I apply for my license? No. Is my doctor going to have a spot that says non-binary? Most likely not. But it's a start and it increases the visibility because mm -hmm. these people exist. I am one of them. And it's not just some kind of arbitrary decision. It's a lifelong, almost half a century <laughs> to actually come to that point and stand up for myself. That is currently the leaf of queerness that is unfolding in me. So it's ever changing. Yeah. And I think that so many things you just said led us to hear, led us to hear meaning the podcast and exploring queerness, because when you were in Norway and you met people who identify as queer that weren't necessarily gay, that is just like an eye-opening experience. All of these things are different in everyone's journey. Mm -hmm. And we want to take the opportunity to hear from everyone because it can mean so many different things. And yet it's a community that supports and I get a loss for words right now. I totally hear what you're saying. It is different. For, just like being a straight person is different for everybody, every individual. That whole journey you went through is something that I didn't go through, but we both exist here, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, I don't want to not hear. You know, my, I feel like we had similar journeys, but yours was more settled by the time we met because you learned everything you needed to know about. You learned most of what you needed to know about your identity by the time you got to college because you actually were in line with what society was imposing on you. I had to, that journey for me was extended much longer because I wasn't in line. No. Maybe I spent time trying to fit in and trying to create these things. I say no because I can look back to the day I met you to today and I identify the same way as the day you met me and you yeah. have gone so f you've you've been on a, such a journey and with you as we mentioned earlier the love we have for each other like i just want to support you and know more and be one of the people that sees it 
I appreciate that. I love you too. Really, it is about visibility. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest problems that we have that are people that aren't being seen and that that leaks over into so many other things. You know, I say there's a big parallel between feminism and queerness, racism and queerness. Like it's kind of these these issues affect all these other things similarly. And 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 these being visible is very important to the individual. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the biggest struggles coming out as non-binary is in some ways you realize how you're not really visible and now you're trying to force people to see you. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to it. You know, this sounds like it was rough and horrible, but I'm very I'm very thankful in so many yeah. ways that I mm-hmm. that I was forced to really look in on who I was and what it meant to be. And a lot of us get to take things for granted and that's not always awesome. It's not always wonderful. <laughs> you know, right. we also joke about our age, but we were born in the seventies and that was a different time. A running theme in a lot of our interviews is our guests saying when I was a child and I knew this about myself. There were no words. There was no community. This is why it's so important today to mm-hmm. see everybody for who they are so that you don't have to come to the realization or don't have to come out to your friends as who you've been for over 40 years in your 40s. Mm-hmm. You can do it from day one. How we grew up and how society is now has shifted. Not 100%, Mm -hmm. not all the way there. Your journey may have taken this long because of society when we were children and teenagers and in our 20s. You know, back in the 70s, when people really did try to live their true, as their true selves, they went, in order for them to do it wholeheartedly, they had to be pioneers or they had to hide. Hide. Just because I say I want to be visible does not mean that all queers want to be visible. They just want to be themselves and know that their identity is valid and they don't have yes. to go out in public forums and talk about it. Right, of course. Uh, back in the 70s, it was either be it or hide. And I'm, I'm sure that that might not be the way it was for everybody. And it would be wonderful to hear stories from people that had a lot of support um, right. that didn't need to become, you know, um, public speakers or public figures. I identify those pioneers now if i had seen them in the 80s when i saw trans people on television when i saw outrageously gay people at the time that probably were crossing over gender barriers and stuff they most likely terrified me and then the messages i was getting from the rest of society was that there was something wrong with them and why would i want to identify with people there's something wrong with as i look back now those very same people i am so grateful for them taking the hits Mm -hmm. that i wasn't able to do a lot of those people are still alive today some of them are not for all different reasons yeah they're strong. I'm glad I can appreciate it now. I'm, I don't know how I feel about the fact that I wasn't able to see that back then or see them for what they were or that I may even hid from the messages because I was too afraid for myself. Yeah, I mean... I mean, it was hard enough trying to be a gay man. But that's just know? it. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's... Like, that's just it. Like, you... What were you... Kind of like, what were you supposed to do? Yeah. Well, wait. Yeah. <laughs> But when when we were in school together, I never thought that 
I, I would say, and I could probably with some level of confidence that I gave up on exploring my gender in like 1979, right? which is probably the first year that I remember fully being alive and remembering big sections out of it. But I, I, I was chubby kid and, um, I had breasts to me, they were breasts. And, um, I was fascinated with the fact that I might be able to have breasts or that I might be able to look more like my sisters did growing up. And, you know, gender isn't this physical thing, but I wanted to explore all those gender things. I wanted to wear women's clothing. The ability to even play with that or question it was shamed to oblivion. And I had a very open-minded mother and it still, and it still... was shamed. Mm-hmm. I was st- and not necessarily by her, but by the forces that were impacting her. Of course. And the community at large, um, that it, it just became more and more clear that it was not okay. Mm-hmm. By the time I got to college, 13 years later, for, however long, I thought that was it. That was where I was stopping that, you yeah. know, as far as how I looked at myself. And I remember not really identifying with the gay community the way my other gay male friends did. Always feeling kind of othered and not connecting 100%. Now it makes complete sense to me. And I'm fine with it. I also can look back at that time and see that you were not fitting into stereotypical gay circles, if you will. Yeah, you weren't. I I mean, I had plenty of gay male friends, but... um, I shied away from, yeah, I didn't identify. I left Albany really like fed up and I didn't know what was waiting for me in Portland, but it was the best thing I ever did for myself. And it it took a few years to get past my Albany self. And I think that you mentioned earlier on in this conversation, how drag was therapy for you. And that could have possibly been addressing some of those feelings as a young child, you weren't able to express that's exactly it it is funny because like i said when i was first asked to do drag i like knee-jerk reaction said no right because i remember in college once hanging out with our mutual friends the girls wanted to dress me up in drag for some reason put on women's clothing and i did and one of my male roommates walked past and looked felt such shame Mm. that i just wanted to get out of the clothes and not do that anymore such a strong feeling i look back and go what the fuck is wrong with being a woman that's really what it's about being a woman is only (laughs) yeah i mean like dressing and acting and being like a woman is only if you were biologically condemned to be that way (laughs) femininity is just as important and just as valid as masculinity and it's not like one is better than the other and that's what was happening in that moment if if you're a man why are you trying to be feminine that's disgraceful that's what it was about but my knee jerk reaction when i was first asked to do drag i recovered so quickly from it because oh i'm not that person anymore yes of course i can do drag just as you had said um it started to make me realize first of all as a performer, mm-hmm. that energy that I bring up to stage is a woman. Mm. And mm-hmm. I've always appreciated performances from women. When it comes to women, I just think of them as just being more entertaining, the feminine energy being more entertaining. It's woman that gave me the ability to get up and do that, being a woman. It gave me a chance to actually go back to 1979 and reclaim mm-hmm. what I wanted to do the whole time. How you wanted now, to dress, how you wanted to act, 
how you want right. to present yourself. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think even if I was able to have worked this out in 1979, my everyday life, pretty, you know, earth tones, pants right. and a shirt, people very quickly will identify me as a male person inside of me as a woman. And when I perform, I bring that out. That's where the non-binary comes in, I guess, yeah. because I embrace, yeah, absolutely. I embrace all of it all at once. And I'm very, I don't really get very fancy in my real life. Oh, I remember meeting someone in Berlin who was assigned female at birth and their gender issues were worked out by them doing drag because when they got dressed in drag, people assumed that they were a male. Interesting. A male, and they were actually female, as and a woman. so dressing up in this high femme drag fashion okay. mm-hmm. gave them their that the feels of being appreciated as being a man inside there. And I, I, I'm probably not wording it as eloquently as no, they I, did. I, yeah, but I get, I yeah. You yeah. assume that a drag queen is a male it's underneath a male. it, right? Mm-hmm. And that was part of their drag magic was being identified as male by looking. Like, you know, more like a woman yeah. or like a clown more because like, that's really what a drag queen is. But, <laughs> but dressing, as a, dressing up in drag gave them a bigger connection to their male So identity. I wonder if for you, and we can't predict the future, but I know people ask you, would you ever do it again? But I guess you can look at it one of two ways. One, like that time in your life got you to where you are today mm-hmm. or it's something that you enjoyed and like the process and would consider doing it again. I mean, I, 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 maybe you don't even know the answer. I get asked that question all the time. I yeah. get asked that question in a conversation that we've had with one of our guests. Our guests, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I got asked that question yesterday. Oh, funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm not interested so much in doing drag again. Well, you said you want to be behind them. You want to do the music. I really want to be in production now. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I I do feel like it was a journey for me. What kind of hurts in some ways is that I was one of the people in this town that kind of like paved the way for all the young kids that are doing drag like crazy. There's so many drag queens right now. I mean, all over the world. Thank you to, you know, the drag race and all the other things. It's nice to have it be part of our bigger culture. Mm -hmm. Um, But here in Portland, I was one of those original foot stomping people in the in the aughts. Um, that were mm-hmm. that was doing drag and being visible and and uh, being gender uh, bending in so mm-hmm. many ways. Um, nobody knows who the fuck I am <laughs> because I stopped doing drag. Nobody remembers the performers from that day. Remember um, that are still performing now. The new drag queens that come out because I do another show with my friend and we interview drag queens. None of them know who I am and. Um, I, but I guess goes, it doesn't af- that it doesn't affect me that much because, like I said, if if it really mattered, I would I would have continued to do it. But I feel like it allowed you to have that moment in history, your personal history, or the history of my Portland, personal history to say that, that was, you know I made that stand and I wasn't afraid and I went f- through with it. You know, mm-hmm. being doing the drag, 
before yeah. it was what it is today. So you kind of had your moment that maybe you didn't have in your teens and 20s. I, did, I, I wish that anybody that has ever wanted to get that out of their system gives themselves that moment. Some people just do drag just so that they can say they have done it because okay. it's something that they wanted to do. Not every drag queen becomes famous. I mean, just like not every person that gets up and does karaoke becomes famous, you know, like, or sings at a wedding. It was an important part of my life. Honestly, in general, I'm not interested in performance. Mm -hmm. Right, in general. I'm part of a dance troupe right now. I really support what we're doing. I love workshopping the movements. It's fat-centric exploration of fat bodies, what they can do. I perform with that group, but I was telling you know, the, but can I just, if I can just kind of go with the train of thought of being an early drag queen, you are also an early fat centric dancer. Well, that's why I'm part of this. Yeah. <laughs> part of this dance troupe. So is you're because still making these moments for the queer community along the way. Like, I'm just, like, feeling really proud of you right now. As a drag queen, I was fat. I'll tell you, when I put drag on, my fatness becomes less of... At the time, fatness might have been an issue for me. It is much less of an issue for me now in my regular life, performatively. But when I was in drag, it was a non-issue. I love fat women. I was raised by fat women. Um, There's such beauty wearing clothes women's clothing as a fat person just seems so beautiful and fat is very feminine in a lot of ways i do the dance now because i stand behind it because i want to support the director um who we will he we have on the show yeah great conversation with kt yeah Yeah. also do the music for it and uh we had a conversation yesterday about it and i told her i said you know i am really down with stepping back from performing and just going to rehearsals to workshop to focus on the music creation so that we can really curate something that fits each performance, maybe perform, but really focus more on the music. And she was down with it. Um, I don't feel the need to perform. That said, performance is very easy for me. I don't Mm. have, if I know what I'm doing, I have no problem getting on stage. Well, so much of it is preparation. Preparation is most important. Now, if if the whole point is just to get up there and improv, I could do that too. But it depends on what is being asked of me. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't have issues. I don't get nervous about getting up in front of a room full of people. I've had people ask me why I look so calm and why I'm really okay on stage there's very few situations where i get sick to my stomach to go on stage i'm usually okay when it comes to dance to me to get up on the stage it feels very comfortable something that i can do easily but it's not something i actually want to do right okay i Mm -hmm. want to support this project i feel very strongly for this project right now this project benefits from having me be a performer in it i can see myself backing away from the performance aspect and it's the same it's the same as me backing away from drag um i don't need to be the spotlight i need to be a part of something that is creating art that i want to be a part of i find interesting is that you were um sort of at the beginning of both movements so that's just sort of i never really thought about it that way queer um, yeah, queer. Well, the drag I'd say queer, and then yeah. the dancing. Oh, right, right, right. Um, yeah. My my drag act always had dancing in it. 
We always mm. choreograph stuff. Um, it was very important to me. I don't like to do karaoke, but anytime that I have, I would drop the mic just so I could dance to the music because <laughs> <laughs> the singing was never the most important part to me. And yet, when I wanted to make fake music videos in our apartment, you wanted no part of it. Well, you would always cast me as the abusive boyfriend. <laughs> And I really didn't have much to do. It wasn't like we were roaming and shelling it. We were just like, you sit there and be disapproving. <laughs> and I'm like, can I just watch South Park? Like <laughs> After this song. <laughs> so I wasn't opposed. I just didn't have a very active part. <laughs> just sit there the and look mean. <laughs> I got the rest. <laughs> P.S. We should have filmed that shit. I mean, pre-iPhone, pre-mobile pre yes. pre right. device, but right. um, that's right. But I mean, just the fact that I could make music—that nobody knew that in college, you know. That's, cr that's right. I mean, you're right. When you when you first were talking about coming to college and not being that performer, you you were not. I didn't know you as that. Like when you. No. That's why when you went to Portland and drag, I'm like, what? What happened? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see the drag being a surprise because it was kind of a surprise to me. Right. Um, right. But high school, I was in show choir. Mm -hmm. I was in men's choir. I was in mixed choir. I performed anytime I got a chance to. Um, and then somewhere between high school and me actually leaving for college because, you know, we were transfer students. Right. Um, I mean, I t in my community college where I started, I took theater one and two. I took sight singing one and two, <laughs> like I took creative classes. But when I came up to Albany, I was in the school of social welfare and I was taking straightforward classes to build a career. I just needed to graduate college and I completely disregarded that whole dream yeah. of performance and creation. But I did. I'm not great at reading music, but I do know how to read music. A friend of ours, too, was watching me once when I was uh, touring. I was staying at um, his house, and he was watching me compose stuff on my computer. And he was like, wow, isn't it funny how, like, 20 years ago you wouldn't have been able to do it? And I'd be like, yeah, I would have been able to do it just with different equipment. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I can. It's not the computer that's making the, It's like, right. you know, is it the I'm, artist or the pen? You know, like, <laughs> I know how to compose music. I would just been using more archaic equipment to do it because people had no idea. Right. They didn't know. So thank you, Portland. Thank you, queer community. Um, thank you, drag and drag queens and all these wonderful things that I hope continue to change the world that we live in and not just for queer LGBTQAI people, but for everybody. I remember as a drag queen, I would say to people, if I could make a straight man living in the Midwest realize that he doesn't want to be a lawyer anymore after he has seen my performance, I've done something. If I can make someone realize that they're, they they just want to do what they want to do. What they want the to do. What right. they want to yeah. do. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's teach basketball to, you know, children, you know, whatever. Right. I, I wanted to take the most unlikely audience member and have an effect on them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, I have strong feels for my queers, but... It's it's really about the world at large. We I want to see the world become a better place. And maybe by 
us showing individuals out there what queer culture is all about. You don't have to become a queer. You don't have to change anything, but maybe you can make decisions in your life that will make you happy and in turn make the world around you a better place. Maybe. You have the best intentions. Well, I'm getting old. I got to start just thinking of me at some point. Well, (laughs) well, while you're saying that, I'm like, you know what it took for me to do what I want? I got old. (laughs) I turned 45 and stopped giving fucks. If you told us in our mid-20s that we were going to feel great about getting older, I would never have believed you. Mickey, you couldn't tell me anything in my 20s. I mean, what were you going to tell a 20-year-old about the future? Yeah, you're going to love being 45. Yeah, fuck 45. That's when people die. Right. (laughs) I guess I kind of gave my opinion about what I would like to see this podcast do. Um, I'm wondering what you feel people might get out of this podcast what's interesting about this process the workshopping the interviews we've already done so often i find us on the same page and wanting the same things like even we'll be in interviews and i'll have a question in my head and you ask the question you know so Mm. oh between us even when we were trying to figure out the format the name the logo and even just the purpose i feel like it's about at the end of the day we're more similar than we are different we're all people we're just all people i don't know it's such it's a simple thing but it's so true and like it sounds so cliche but i do want the cliche of it all i think that me doing this is because of my relationship with you i don't know this is some this is a topic i would pursue otherwise you know i I don't know that i would have a reason to i've always been an ally um you know i'm a, a feminist bleeding heart liberal but I don't know that I would have any reason to go down this path if it weren't for our relationship. So we've already done a handful of interviews and already it's just so reassuring and heartwarming to hear everyone's story. Well, I, th- I think it's really clear and we make it clear that um, you're here because of me. Right. But you also represent so many people in the world who have queer friends whether they know it or not (laughs) hopefully they do know it um but i think we acknowledge the fact that i know a lot about the culture that you live in because it's the culture that we grew up in Mm -hmm. and really it's me kind of sharing the culture that has given me a voice and yeah it has yeah and i'm not this isn't my way in you know (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is a way to just shine a light for, for people like me who aren't trying to get in. We want everyone to be happy with who they are and where they are. And we're not, we're not trying to cross over into each other's worlds. We're already in each other's worlds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I mean, obviously for me, I'm getting so much out of it because I am staying actively, um, interested in queerness which has changed my life for the better in so many ways. I think that we have something here. And after having the conversations that we had with people, with the guests that we've had on the show, I feel like we've got a lot of um, validation, you know, Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, we both sit back and wonder, 
are we doing this? Is this okay? Like, you know, should we both be queer? You know, um, or should we, should we uh, meet with me also? I think like at the beginning, it's like, should we be going in with specific topic and specific questions? And, you know, so we, we've definitely like questioned ourselves along the way, but I will tell you when we hit stop at the end of every interview, I say to myself, this is why we're doing it. Each interview, like you said, validates what we're doing for us. We clearly say that we're not trying to teach or preach to anybody. We're actually learning here at the same time with everybody else, with every word Mm -hmm. that comes out of our mouth, with every conversation that we have, we're learning. And hopefully the people that are listening are learning alongside of us. But neither one of us are professionals in this field. So it's not that we're giving our professional opinion or educating people on any kind of like academic level um, because each one of the conversations we have there could be deeper dives into them Um, Mm -hmm. but we're just here to listen and learn but by season two we will be professional podcasters (laughs) yeah as far as professionals I mean we'll have this down by then right well Um, that's another thing too is our journey um, people will notice in future episodes. <laughs> Liz's mic wasn't actually working. <laughs> Is this thing on? <laughs> yeah, we neglected to mention in part of our journey that there's a lot of technical aspects of making a podcast together. One of the parts of uh, workshopping it was, how are we going to do this? We live in two different states. We are going to have to create a system of troubleshooting so there you will notice as liz said in future episodes that maybe she sounds like she's talking into a computer and not a proper microphone and that's because that's what she's doing yes the i was, wasn't on I, I too thought i was talking into a microphone because <laughs> it was right in front of my face it just wasn't recording from the microphone <laughs> so this whole journey our slip might show here and there but um yeah. we're prepared we're prepared to be vulnerable and show that we didn't get it right every time but the one thing we're getting right is that we're just doing it we're moving forward and we've mm-hmm. got a show for you and yeah. we hope that you stay tuned for the next coming episodes we're really proud of the work that we've done and um it's a lot of work too yeah, and you, you, it's more work for you than me because you do the editing and you have the guests um, in your home and um, so. Created the theme music and whatever. And you did the music <laughs> and you produced the music and um, you had the connection for our uh, logo. So, wel- so welcome to the Mickey show. Um. Pretty much. <laughs> um, no, it's, well, you know what, we, we bring what we bring to the table. I'm looking forward to see what happens with this, and I'm really thankful that we're following through. And even though every month we think that we're putting out our first episode in the next week and we don't, we still get a lot of shit done. So, yeah. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of What the Q. Um, and we really hope that you stick with us, subscribe, do whatever you have to do to make sure you don't miss an episode. We're promising to give you 10. This was number one. And then if that works out, we will see you for another season. Awesome. Awesome. 